0: usually i like to make a joke here but today i'm just depressed if anyone out there can play quarterback can you just call the new york jets like right now welcome to triple click where we bring the games to you this week we are opening up the mailbag and taking all sorts of questions from ps5 controllers to resident evil and where to start getting
1: into the series Jason Schreier, I'm Kirk Hamilton,
2: and I'm Maddie Myers. Hello it's us again. Hey,
0: hello, hello, my friends, and welcome back for another week. Another nice week. To see you both. Wow. Man, happy Thanksgiving wow. to both of you and to everyone out there. This episode is arriving Thanksgiving morning, like a Thanksgiving present underneath your turkey. <laughs> Uh, triple click is arriving. your turkey tree. You know, yeah, It's so right there underneath set the set turkey, stuffed inside your turkey is an, a new, Lowsen, episode of triple
2: click. a buttery present that's got uh-huh. a little bit of stuffing right on top mm-hmm. of it. That's exactly. Perfect. Well, some
0: people some people make a turducken. We make a turclickin. Right. Tur- yep, <laughs> tur- click-in that's right. For everyone. <laughs> a um, podcast you, <laughs> inside
2: of an iPod inside of a turkey. If you that's would right. like to continue exactly.
0: receiving podcasts inside enti- inside of your turkeys, then hey, you should <laughs> help us make this show possible by becoming a member of our network Maximum Fun. Go to MaximumFun.org slash join and you can support our show because we don't have any advertisers. We are only able to make this happen and continue to uh, get paid to spend our valuable time doing this every single week because of all of you valuable listeners out there, you wonderful listeners out there. Um, you guys are just as valuable as our time, if not more so. Uh, so yeah, go to maximumfund.org slash join, uh, become a, a supporter of our show and in addition to, as I always say, that warm, Feeling that one gets when they're supporting <laughs> their favorite podcasters. You will also get access to our bonus content. We release a new bonus episode every single month. Um, including the one we are about to put out, which is a giant spoiler filled, spoiler packed story discussion. And who knows what else we're going to discuss. Maybe we'll even discuss things that aren't the story. Uh, beans wow. cast, we call it because we're going to spill the beans on God of War Ragnarok. We are going to dive deep into that game. Um, save this episode, save this bonus episode for until you've finished it. But if you have finished it and you're eager to, to hear us talk about it, Now is your chance. So become a member today and you will get that very soon. Um, We also have a new merch store. Kirk, you want to shout out uh, the new merch in our store? Yeah, we have new merch in our store. Uh, There's a, (laughs)
1: that's that's pretty much it, but But um, we've had t-shirts available. In the past, but now we are going through a new way of getting t shirts in addition to that one, and so there are new t shirts with new colors that you can order there 's a mug there 's a sticker. I just spent a lot of money on merch from my own podcast <laughs> um, there's a link for it down in the show notes, and I think we're going to add some more stuff down the line, but for now there 's already some new stuff you can get, and that of course uh, supports us and supports maximum funds so you 'll find the link for that down in the show notes. Get some merch. Get a shirt. Get a mug.
2: Mm-hmm. Get a sticker. Yes. Why not? Get a
1: sticker. I got a couple stickers. I'm going to buy a mug
0: for sure. Make it. Black Friday is coming up. Holiday <laughs> season is coming up. This is like a perfect. We opportunity. don't have any Black
2: Friday deals that I know of. However, it I don't is coming think so. up. No.
0: Get your friends, <laughs> get your friends and family some triple click gear. All right, on with the episode. This week we are reaching into the old question bag and answering some questions from all of you fine folks. Um, a lot of really good mm-hmm. ones.
2: And the bag is on fire, as usual. The bag it is, is. it's yes. a burning, flaming a burning
0: mail bag. Some burning questions. <laughs> it's very um,
2: dangerous to reach in there. We get but so we, many good questions.
0: Uh, I read through them all. Some of them uh, I wish we could answer, but we cannot. We only have so much time in the day. But we got some really good ones. And just to remind you all, you can reach us with questions or whatever else you'd like at tripleclick click at MaximumFun.org. Triple at MaximumFun.org. On with the mailbag. All right. Maddie, start us off with the first question.
2: Sure. So this one is from Chase, who writes... Hi, TripleClick. I've had a PS5 for a while now, and I'm wondering what you all think of the much-hyped controller and its advanced haptics. I thought the way Returnal used it for the alt-fire was interesting, but not necessary. It worked well, but I'm not dying for other games to do the same thing. In Horizon Forbidden West, I turned off the bit where it makes it harder to draw your bowstring back because it got obnoxious really fast, (laughs) but I did enjoy the feeling of really having to crunch down the trigger for actions like opening a stuck door or chest. Those are really the only times I can think of where games use the PS5 controller's haptics beyond standard rumble. Am I missing anything cool? What do you all think of the feature now that it's been around for a while? Will it be a forgotten novelty or will it become an integral part of the future of gaming?
0: So, Kirk, you, you had dropped a comment when we were going through these questions saying, let's wait till after God of War Ragnarok to talk about this. Because God of War Ragnarok <laughs> <laughs> felt like it felt like a good time to talk about this because the PS5 has now been out for exactly two years on the dot.
1: And um, yeah, I'm curious to hear what you guys think. And I have my own thoughts too. So, I would start by drawing a distinction between haptics and trigger pressure because I think those are two different technologies and that one is kind of cooler and I could see it being used more than the other, by, by which I mean the haptics are pretty cool and the trigger thing is a little more gimmicky. So most of what Chase is talking about is stuff with the triggers, which to anyone who doesn't have a PS5, the triggers on the new Dual Sense controller, new-ish Sense controller can do like variable resistance. So in Returnal, you know, you would pull the trigger halfway to shoot, but then you could jam it all the way down. And kind of break through a resistance wall, and that would cause the secondary fire, which, yeah, that was cool, but didn't really feel essential, and you could turn it off. So, that, I don't know, like that trigger stuff is like neat. I like the idea of resistance in haptics in controllers, but I I agree that there aren't a lot of use cases that come to mind, especially because not everyone has this controller, and as a result, you can't really build game mechanics around it. Um, I played a lot of God of War Ragnarok um, on the Steam Deck, just streaming it, and sometimes I can get the Rumble to work streaming via Chiaki, and even when it does and when it doesn't, it doesn't make a huge difference. But um, the trigger thing is just not there at all, like the vibrating triggers so it's not a big deal. But I think the haptics are pretty cool. I didn't miss them playing God of War Ragnarok without feeling, the really advanced stuff. Um, But whenever I played it with the DualSense, I definitely noticed it. And it wasn't just like it happens a couple times. Everything in the game really triggers the haptics in some way, because as um, a guest explained on our show a long time ago, the way that the technology works, it allows for these really subtle, quick shifts between intensity of rumble. I wouldn't even call it rumble. So like little footsteps or falling water or even sound effects things that she'll hear, very subtle shifts along with big, loud things. Like You kind of feel all of that in your hands in a way that's pretty cool. I think that it's well implemented in God of War. And that kind of thing I could see becoming the standard. It just feels like a better version of existing technology. It's just a matter of who will adopt it and when. You cannot put your controller on your desk or your table during a (laughs) cutscene
2: or else it will
0: fall off. It will just vibrate its way to the ground.
2: Yeah, there's, I, I feel like that's the main thing I notice about the haptics is that I don't really notice them that much when I'm holding the controller because they're often so well incorporated into a game, God of War Ragnarok mm-hmm. included. But then if I put my controller down for a second, maybe to have a couple chips or what have you, suddenly I'm like, holy crap, the controller is freaking out. And it's it's kind of interesting because a lot of times it's a pretty gentle rumble or just a little bit of a, of a sensation that you just... Don't, don't scarcely notice, but it is adding a little something extra.
1: Don't you think they'll make it so that the controller can tell when it's been set down and it'll stop doing that? Because that is annoying when it does that.
2: Yeah, why doesn't it know everything about what I'm doing? Why isn't my controller like, oh, Maddie's feeling a little hungry well, it's right got, now. And it's got like an accelerometer in it.
1: I feel like it could probably already tell when it's been set down on a table. So it seems like that'll happen at some point. The controller should really be feeding
0: you chips, Maddie. That's also
2: true. Like... I think that the controller should have a little chip compartment at the bottom. Kirk wants those yeah. back buttons. I just want chips in there because I want right. it to Actually, get really dirty. Actually, Sony,
0: Sony should should come out with a feedback that feeds you uh, as you're playing. <laughs> oh my god, this is the future uh-huh.
2: of gaming! I have like one of those little finger uh-huh. things, like you get in the hospital, and it like uh-huh. tells uh-huh. tells me how I'm doing, my heart rate, and everything, how many um, chips I need to win. So
0: yeah, I actually <laughs> I think the triggers are pretty cool. Um, sometimes sure. they're a little like off putting, I guess, but like in general, I like them. You mentioned Returnal; I thought that was a pretty cool way of doing it, where it like felt like it had a different functionality. But also, like I don't know all the that you're right in that there's only so much that can be done when all of these games are coming to multiple platforms. And so it's very difficult for companies to justify spending the time and resources on PS five specific stuff. But when a game is PS five only or PlayStation only, then it's easier to justify. And so like, um, I really I remember really enjoying the haptics in Spider-Man Miles Morales. Um, mm-hmm. I remember they were fun in bug snacks, which isn't PS5 only, but it was like a console launch exclusive or whatever. And so yeah, I don't know, I've, I've enjoyed it. I like the way that I like it when it's like a soft press does feels one way and then a harder press feels another way. Um, it kind of feels neat uh, in a way. And so with Ragnarok specifically, I enjoyed the parts where, uh, it's kind of like a little QTE where it's like cut or like chop this tree or whatever. And you feel uh, a little bit more resistance than the trigger. Yeah. I don't know. I like it. Uh, it's not, it's definitely not as impressive as it was when I first checked it out a couple of years ago,
1: but, um, yeah, I definitely enjoy it. It is also nice that as these games that are originally released on PS5 come to PC, usually there's DualSense support. And we've, I think, wasn't it uh, Deathloop that actually had some Dual Sense stuff built in because mm-hmm. it was kind of a PlayStation console exclusive. So that's kind of nice that if you plug a Dual Sense into a PC on an increasing number of games, you get those extra little features.
2: Mm-hmm. Yep. I love that because I personally think it's the most comfortable of my controller lineup right it's, now. It, it is, is a really it
1: comfortable is. controller. I do really just like using it. Agree. Yeah.
0: Well, that's the thing. I actually, I think that's really the biggest highlight of the controller is that it just feels great, mm-hmm. um, and the haptic stuff feels like a nice little bonus but it's mm-hmm. just a good a good controller to begin with. All right, let's
1: get to the next question. Kirk, you want to do this? Sure. Eric writes, I was so close to the end of both Planescape Torment and Fallout New-, New Vegas, but life intervened and I never finished them. I'm so close to the end of The Witcher 3 Blood and Wine now, but as a single parent, I just haven't completed it yet, and I get a little anxious. I'll somehow lose my save and won't be able to. Are there any games you regret not finishing? Um, there's a few, but I just... Man, Eric, I hope that you managed to finish The Witcher Blood and Wine because it has a really good ending. It's especially if you like The Witcher; the ending is really good. Man, Mm -hmm. this
0: happens to me all the time. It's so difficult. At least I find it very difficult to like switch from a game to another on one platform and then try to revisit it like a month later. So, like Mm -hmm. uh, once once my PS5 moves from like I don't know. Uh, Gotham Knights to God of War I'm not going back to Gotham Knights <laughs> but why not um, yeah. what do you mean no, but that, maybe that's even a bad
2: comparison
0: I don't know <laughs> there are a lot of games where like I'm enjoying them just fine but then I spend a month on another thing and it's like oh god I have to learn how to play this game again yep. we've talked about this before but I think uh, so many games could really benefit from like uh, a message saying oh you haven't played this in four yes. weeks <laughs> like here's what you need to know here are the controls right. here's the crash a crash course tutorial a story, yeah. a story briefing
2: like the Netflix recap that they give you if you haven't watched a show for a certain amount right. of time like they've started programming that in why don't games <laughs> like do that
1: <laughs> it'll be like you start netflix and you're like you haven't used netflix in a while here's how you press play yeah, here's, <laughs> here's how you, how you rewind <laughs> here's how netflix what works. if you've
2: forgotten how to click on rectangles mm-hmm.
1: we it thought we were worried anyone. you might have forgotten
2: yeah i have so many examples by the way If we want to just list our our buckets of shame, I mean, Dark Souls One is like perhaps the most obvious one. Mm -hmm. I keep trying to go back and being like, but you play that
0: every day for forty years, so like you're gonna you're gonna finish it.
2: I've never beaten Persona Five, which I feel increasingly. Uh, sad about because I feel like I'm. Mm. I would get to know you two better if I did. You know, we have more <laughs> things we could talk about. I. I mean, mm-hmm. the list goes on. I feel like there's And Hollow
1: Knight, right? Those Hollow are the two Knight, yeah. That I've, are never, like I've never. The Rosetta Stones Hollow for Kirk and Jason, right?
2: Right. Bloodborne. I don't feel that guilty about yeah. it, but like sometimes I kind of do. I mean, it's like yeah. anything I've started and played ten plus hours of. Although Eric is describing a worse version of that, which is like being almost right. done and then just somehow never quite finding the time to finish it up, which I think is worse.
1: Well, and that can sometimes be. I'm not saying this is what Eric is doing, but that can sometimes be not wanting the game to end, right? Yes. I mean, I know oh, people. Yes. I have some friends who have never watched the final two episodes of Thirty Rock, <laughs> what? just because they really loved the show and they watched it together, and then it ended, and they just never really did it. Which I've definitely done for shows where I'm like, oh, Star Trek: The Next Generation. Actually, we watched the entire show and have like four episodes left, and I've just we've just never watched them, and it's partly not wanting to finish it. That's. Kind of a different thing, but um, Eric's, Eric's email does make me think of that. I'll say that there, one game that I really want to finish that I never finished is um, Assassin's Creed Rogue, which is the only Assassin's Creed game, mainline Assassin's Creed anyway, that I haven't finished. It's the one that's the most tied up with the lore with, like, Haytham and the Kenways and the whole Assassin's Creed 3 storyline. Um, our former boss, Steven Totila, loves the game, and... Um, you know, he he has always wanted me to finish it just because he and I like to nerd out about all of the deep lore of Assassin's Creed, and I've never finished it. And I've wow. always, I've played like a few hours of it. I've gotten kind of far, but I just can never quite get the momentum going. And he he... Trolls me about it constantly. So at some point, I really want to finish that game. Great. That's the nice thing
0: about remasters. Maybe Rogue will get remastered one day, so you have an excuse to. Yeah, to but re- then you have to start
2: it. over. I, I feel like that isn't it's always chill. a good thing. Although mm-hmm. Kirk has proven us all wrong by constantly replaying something that has been recently remastered over the course of his lifetime.
1: Right. Both that. Both actually, Divinity: Original Sin and. Persona 5 mm-hmm. which I think is what you're referring to I'm going yes. to I'm gonna finish Persona 5 maybe <laughs> oh, not until next year but I'm in the final, <laughs> the final chunk of that, the new royal part it's pretty cool Oh, you got to the new dungeon already? Oh yeah, I'm doing all the. Oh, new then stuff. you
0: should finish pretty pretty soon. Like it's not that yeah, it's, long. That, it's that more genre. that there's
1: a lot of stuff I want to finish. That's like games for this year for our games and review stuff that I'm sort of focusing on first. Mm-hmm. Got it. Yeah, so I have a giant like I look through my Steam
0: backlog and there are bazillion things oh, where it's like, oh yeah, I should finish that one day. Mm-hmm. I should finish this game.
2: Once I uninstall something, it's uh, it's over. There's a, there's it's always over. a point where it's I healthy. start decluttering my Steam list and I'm just like, I'm that's never gonna smart. finish this. Yeah. And then I just move on. Yeah, Guess how usually... long I've had Dark Souls 1 installed. Guess how long it will be installed. Forever. Uh, Forever. Maybe 25 yeah. years. <laughs> <laughs> wow, uh, it's weird that I'm going to die in 25 since years. The Carter that would be longer than that. You've but... had it
1: installed since 1997. <laughs> um, wow. I always, I always wish that,
0: like, I always play... Uh, 10 hours of every single Tales game, you know, the Tales Mm -hmm. series, Tales of something. Mm -hmm. I always play 10 hours and then something else comes out and I have to switch to that for whatever reason and then never go back to the Tales games. But every single time I'm like, oh, this is fun. I should finish this. But no, never. Never Mm. can, never do. Yeah, I can see that
1: with those kinds of JRPGs. Totally.
0: Totally. um, all right, next question. Here is Steven. Steven says, I watched the new Netflix Resident Evil series recently, which inspired me to finally check out the games. The problem is there's so many of them now that I don't know where to begin. Do you guys have any recommendations for where to start or which games to avoid altogether? Thanks and love the show. Steven. Oh, Steven. I uh, have recommendations. For guys, you guys have stronger yeah, thoughts
1: on this than I do. Here we go.
2: Here we go. I'm looking at the Wikipedia page okay. now. <laughs>
1: So all right. So, I have a recommendation. I have three games that I think you should consider. There's some nuance to the recommendations, but I do have one that I think I would recommend that Steven play. If you want to play a really great Resident Evil experience that's just a good game that also gives you a sense of what Resident Evil is all about, in my opinion, you should play Resident Evil 2 Remake. That's yeah. my take. I think that's it's my favorite of all of the Resident Evils that I've played, which is not all of them. Not a super expert or anything, but i played a, f- a number of them, and that game is awesome. And it has, like, it's a remake of an older Resident Evil game, so it has a lot of the kind of fundamental stuff but because it's a remake it's amazing looking it's over the shoulder it feels more modern a little more like resident evil 4 and it's just a really cool game so that's my first thought if you
0: started two, are you missing out on any parts of the ongoing story
2: it's not that complicated of an ongoing story is the good i mean it, it's
1: it is both very very complicated and, <laughs> and also not, not the- that complicated yes, <laughs> that's
2: precisely right where there's always a zombie apocalypse There's always some type of super science organization that's evil and has some type of money-related or Mm -hmm. crime lord-related motivations for causing the zombie apocalypse. But it's okay if you aren't following every single supervillain who's ever created a zombie. There's a whole bunch of them. It's okay if you aren't following every single STARS agent. There's a bunch of them. You'll you'll pick you'll get the gist. You're gonna play as somebody who's got a gun, somebody who's really cool, and they're gonna fight this zombies. It sounds like
1: the MCU. It's like
2: yeah, there's an story, but you <laughs> a little just bit, yeah. It is a sci-fi s- series, yeah.
1: And I would say that Resident Evil Two Remake is pretty clean. I mean, you come in, you play as two people: Claire Redfield, she's just this girl mm-hmm. who's trying to survive, and Leon, who's a cop in Raccoon mm-hmm. City and the two of you are like in the middle of a zombie apocalypse and you have to go through this really wild police station and then there's some adventures in the sewers and whatever you get into like an umbrella facility and you learn oh there's this facility here and they've been making zombies like it's all pretty self-contained there's not like a sequence really in Resident Evil 2 where like Albert Wesker appears and gives a big monologue about some shit that happened in the first game and you're like who is this guy what's going on like, that does happen that in Resident
2: Evil 5 unfortunately but that would that's be one why I would definitely I not
1: recommend. recommend that game <laughs> No, Western Monalong's a lot
2: on that one, and you don't need any yeah. of it. Um, so two remakes. My, Somebody do you
0: agree with Kirk's suggestion? I,
2: I do. I think the remakes are, are great because they're just examples of easy-to-play versions of stories that I already really like. Uh, but I would actually recommend the original Resident Evil. It's already been remade a bunch of times. Mm-hmm. There's like a 2002-era remake of it. I think the original year it came out was 96. Yeah, that's right. Uh, I played the 2002 remake on the GameCube, and I actually dug that pretty well, but it's it's out for every single platform at this point. I recommend it because it's kind of like a Silent Hill 2 situation. It's a classic for a reason. It's really simple. It's not super long, and it's legit kind of scary at parts, even though it's really pixelated looking. Some of that is just the pacing and the weird dialogue and just the way the mansion looks. It's just got a certain tone, and again, it's not like you need to play the first one for story reasons. It's more just that it's got a cool vibe. I don't even know if you need to beat it. But I feel like it's it'll show you something about the overall atmosphere of these games and how small they originally started. Like, it's called Resident Evil because it's about just a a couple people, (laughs) like an evil resident in a house (laughs) house. of a creepy person who is a zombie. And and that really, really small scale is part of what's so cool about the first game. It's just you're just walking around some rooms of just one house. That's it.
0: So uh, the remasters that you mentioned or the remakes you mentioned... Is the first game remade the way that like two
1: and some of the others? No, so let me now. so let me add a little more nuance, and I'll include Resident Evil One remake because there's a little more to the to my recommendation than just that I think Resident Evil Two remake is the good way to go, and this maybe will just be helpful, Stephen, depending on what your tastes are. Yes, and that is each one of the. There's kind of three. Types of Resident Evil game, and it has to do with where the camera is located. There's the fixed camera, there's over the shoulder third person, and there's first person. So the Resident Evil 1 remake is a fixed camera game, mm-hmm. which does kind of limit it. Like you're playing a game that feels more old fashioned because the camera is yes. just set, you know, it'll be like at one point in the hallway and you walk around relative to it, which is kind of clunky and old-fashioned feeling but very cool if you once you get into the groove of it you're like oh okay i get this it just feels a little older Mm -hmm. resident evil 2 so that's resident evil 1 remake resident evil 2 remake is over the shoulder so it looks like a last of us or whatever a modern sort of third person game um which is really easy to adjust to Mm -hmm. and then i would also say you could consider playing resident evil 7 or resident evil 8 because those are both good games, Mm -hmm. and they're both first-person.
2: Four Four is the first in the series that is starting the -the over-the-shoulder action-based play, which, I mean, Four is kind of... I don't know. What what are you going to say, Kirk? (laughs)
1: Well, So I wouldn't (laughs) include Four in this because Four is about to get a remake, and I would say just wait for that and play that, because I think it'll be a lot like the original. It'll just sort of be a little smoother and a little better looking because the original holds up. I'd say, like, if you're going to play an over-the-shoulder one, play two remake. If you want to play a fixed Position one that's like the original, play the first one. And if you want to play a modern one, there's seven and eight. And I would say the difference between those two is that both of them have the same strengths and weaknesses. They're both first person. They're both fun. They both eventually devolve into like kind of more Resident Evil lore than you might want as a newcomer. Yeah. Um, They both kind of have that same thing where two-thirds of the way in, suddenly it is actually Wesker. He doesn't actually appear, but it's that idea. Like, okay, wait, what the hell is happening? Which isn't (laughs) a huge deal because they're fun games. But the difference, I would say, is that 7 is really scary, especially the first half of 7 is like a legitimately... scary game. That's the scariest of the four that I'm listing here, and 8 is a little more action-packed and silly and, and goofy. fun. Yeah. Yeah. It still's got its moments of tenseness, but it's not as scary as 7. Mm-hmm. So that I'd say any of those four depending on how they sound to you. From the first person, third person, fixed camera, etc. But still, my overall recommendation is to remake, just because it's an awesome game. It's my favorite of all of the Resident Evil games I've ever played.
2: I feel like I need to add, based on the fact that Stephen said that they watched the Resident Evil Netflix series, that you should probably just play Eight because it's the goofiest one, and the Netflix series, from all accounts, is incredibly goofy. Okay, so I, seen I the think series. if you like the Netflix series. Our friend Gita really liked it, so I got kind of a recap on how goofball it is. There's like a <laughs> bunch of Wesker clones in it, and there's a lot of like clone-on-clone oh, okay. clone goofballery. Sure. Um, and so if you like the goofy stuff of, no, of Resident Evil, then I would say just play the newest one. And then if, you, if you're enjoying that, then maybe you'll enjoy circling back and playing some of the more serious ones. But it's, it's not always goofy. They're pretty different in tone, even though they're all theoretically in the same world.
1: It's a cool series to get into just because there's so many of them and a lot of them are, are very good. And mm-hmm. some of them aren't as good. <laughs> but a lot of them are good.
2: <laughs> Unfortunately, that's everything that's in a series. But, oh, wow. Yeah, oh. <laughs> that's
1: true.
0: It's an interesting series to get into because all of them are constantly being remade. Um, that's true. And just re-released every year. Then, yeah, it's Which I see is a great thing about it is sure. that they're
2: always accessible. Like, just wait a couple more years and whichever Resident mm-hmm. Evil you want to play is either about to get a remaster or a port or a full remake. Somewhere Mm -hmm. on a console of your choosing.
0: All right. Next question. Maddie, take us away.
2: So Kevin writes, thousands of years ago, all the way back in 2021, (laughs) Nintendo released Metroid Dread for the Nintendo Switch. It is fantastic. And I love it. Shortly thereafter, within a week, as I recall, Kotaku published an article about how much better it ran on PC via emulation. I'm curious as to your collective thoughts on this. How do you all feel about this whole situation? Apparently, Kotaku no longer gets pre-release copies of games. How do you feel about that? Do you feel that Nintendo is justified in removing Kotaku from pre-release access based on these events? So, okay, so Let's a couple of things. One. Well, a couple <laughs> of things to
0: lay out here. So, yeah. um, first of all, I'm not actually sure if uh, if Kotaku has said or if they know for sure. Generally, you don't know for sure about these things. That. Nintendo is uh, kind of blackballing them because of this one specific article. Like there could be a lot of reasons they've done it. Also Nintendo kind of like a little bit of inside baseball here is that Nintendo has cracked down on pre-release copies for everybody over the last two years specifically and started doing some, like making people jump through hoops to get early access to games and it's very limited. And so it's kind of like uh, it could, I I don't know Mm -hmm. for sure what the deal is with Kajaka, but the article itself I think is interesting. Um, if you look at the article now, and we can link this in the show notes, there are actually a couple of updates, including one that is like the original. We apologize because the original article did not meet our editorial standards um, because a lot of readers interpreted it as Kotaku saying, hey, go download this game because it runs better on PC than it does on Switch, which I think is another is kind of like an interesting um uh, there are like different ways to go about something like this, right? Like, you can kind of like report on emulation in a very neutrally toned, kind of like straightforward way. You can editorialize a little bit. You can add thoughts on like how much better it runs. There are a lot of just like different, different nuances. And it sounds like Kachaku, our old, our old uh, website, our alma mater, it sounds like they felt like, um it they went a little bit too far in that direction um but the article itself as it as it runs right as it stands right now is Metroid Dread is already running on Switch emulators is the title and it's about how Nintendo is in this thorny spot where the game is running better on PC emulators than it is on the Switch because the Switch is such uh old hardware um mm-hmm. So yeah, that's where it's at. I don't know. Curious to hear what you guys think of this whole situation. I do think that emulators are a really interesting topic. And personally, my kind of personal opinion is that um, uh, emulators are only really kind of justifiable if if you can't buy a game um, in a way that is like like legally, like that will actually benefit the people involved. Right. So like when it comes to the old games, I feel a lot differently than uh, about emulators than I do about games that came out yesterday. But yeah, curious to hear your thoughts.
2: Mm-hmm. I, I think also people generally feel that if they own a game, then emulating it elsewhere is sort of considered ethical, but there is a difference mm-hmm. between privately doing that and writing an article about it. And if you were to write an article about it on a widely read website, and this is something that we have to think about at Polygon 2 and on the show, um, you run the risk of su- suggesting to people that they should do that instead of purchasing the game, which in some cases can actually harm the people who made it because it's like an indie game or whatever. This is sort of a weird situation where Nintendo is not an indie. And I remember that being <laughs> the argument of well, the time. Well, that's what's
0: interesting because Metroid fans were like, man, it's been so. It's been 15 years since the new Metroid game. Like, you, you gotta do this to us, Kutaku. I remember people yep. getting really mad about that.
2: Like, defending Nintendo's honor and uh-huh, Samus Aran's uh-huh. honor, Because Metroid
0: is, is like uh, people just, I think uh, for whatever reason, I, I don't know how much of this is justifiable, how much of this 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 is just, like, capitalism poisoning. But there's this belief that, like, this game has to sell well so we get more entries in the series, which, like, makes sense, right? But it's also kind of twisted. There's a lot of interesting nuance to unpack there.
2: Yeah, but I feel like on the other end of the spectrum, I don't ever feel that great talking about using emulators, even though I don't feel unethical. For example, if I were to use one to play Sweet Coden two. I don't feel great Uh, to be fair (laughs) to be fair important
0: context here before the remaster was announced so when we had no idea that there was going to be a way to to legally like buy it anytime soon
2: it's tough because I've certainly said all the music I've released I will send it to anyone for free if anyone is to ask me that stands true I don't mind if people share it amongst themselves but I also understand that capitalism exists and that some people really don't feel that way and we could really go down the rabbit hole of just the studies about how usually people who pirate games and other media don't aren't the same people who would have bought it anyway and is this even like a worthwhile conversation to have from a financial perspective because would those people have ever been interested in the game that's almost separate but it from the reporting side
0: yeah the reporting side is the big question here I think at least from our perspectives is like podcasters with a platform reporters with a platform like how do you approach something like this what's the ethical way to approach something like this if you're a reporter and you see this thing happening and you want to talk about it I mean I really I think the issue here is that like I I think it's when you're writing and editing a story and every website obviously has different tones that they use um, but if you're not going for like the um, quote-unquote neutral style that like a mainstream news organization like a New York Times or a Bloomberg News would take um, and you're you're writing in that kind of colorful bloggy way that the three of us did for many years um, you risk uh, get, uh, putting yourself in a trap like you write a sentence in a, a little like a wrong way um, a little too much opinion into this one a little bit too much about how amazing the game looks when it's running on PC um, that's when you can kind of get yourself into trouble I think.
2: Mm-hmm. And it's a, it's too bad because in this case, I do think it's an interesting story. And I thought that at the time, although I mean, I don't, I don't have a copy of the original draft or any of that. I but I do think there is a way to write about it ethically in this case and be like, you know, what happened with the OLED? What's happening with chip shortages? Uh-huh. Why doesn't the Switch have an improved version that could have run this game and not? higher def way and we kind of can see that the game is capable of that but the hardware isn't and that that's the part of the story that i think is worth reporting on it's just that in order to report that you have to talk about an illegal method of running the game which i
0: think is fine i think you just have to be careful when you're cheerleading that or at least coming across as if you do, and then there's some people who would argue, "Hey, like you shouldn't talk about this because talking about this alerts to the fact that that it exists." I Correct. mean, with Kotaku, we were always like, every time there was a fan game or something that like based on licensed property, there was always a contention of raiders that would get mad if we wrote about it because it would be like, "Hey, now Nintendo's going to send their copyright lawyers with de- with their cease and desist to pull this thing." Like, mm-hmm. thanks a lot for calling all this attention to it. Now it won't exist anymore. Yeah. Um, so that's another. Aspect of this. Yeah. The updates on this Kotaku article are really interesting, by the way. There's one that says Editor's note, per request by Nintendo, we have updated the article to generally reassert that Kotaku does not promote or encourage piracy. Kotaku declined to enact changes that blur the line between suggestions and aggressive line edits to preserve editorial independence. <laughs> so mm. and those must have one. been some,
2: some stressful emails. Some emails happened there. Some yeah. Emails, <laughs> some emails
0: definitely <laughs> happened.
1: All right, let's move on. Um, Kirk, you want to read the next one? Sure. This comes from Eric, who writes, My question to you three is, what are your thoughts on the importance or unimportance of usernames, gamer tags, etc., in games and the overall <laughs> gaming community? <laughs> For example, I wouldn't have thought all those years ago when I was choosing my Xbox Live gamer tag that there would be a whole group of people that only knew me as my online moniker, and I might have put a little more thought into it How'd I know? <laughs> uh, <laughs> shout out! Shout out to Sephiroth420. <laughs> yeah, right. Um, um, I've written articles about this, so about I IDP, maybe I'll link to IDP, this. IDP, Mal, what IDP, was it? Mal? it? was yeah, it was the modes of the major scales. So Ionian, Dorian, <laughs> Phrygian, Lydian, Mixolydian, so Aeolian, cool. Locrian. Yeah. Yeah, though. man, because, you know, I like music.
2: <laughs> it's <is> to me. <laughs> I had a nerd. I
1: do, and I, and I wanted, well, no one actually could tell that from my username.
2: Yeah, I wonder why that is. Nobody ever went to you and was like, oh, my God, is that...
1: I know what that is.
2: <laughs> <laughs> is that the first letter of every name of the types of scale? No, but it, I would have been yeah. best
1: friends with whoever the person was. <laughs> <is. laughs> I never met them. Um, yeah, I wrote about this. this so I, I did something very similar to Eric where I had this stupid... Username that I hated because it wasn't really a word. And then finally, because Sony took so long to implement the ability to change your handle, uh-huh. that when they finally did, mm-hmm. I changed it. Which
2: is so common now across all platforms yeah. and games that you can change your handle. I mean, sometimes they'll charge you for it, but it's it's always an option. And in the early days, in the olden days, you got what you got. Yeah,
1: I think that that then answers the question a little bit, Eric's question, which is, yeah, I don't think any of us knew that those names were going to wind up having this big... Life outside of ourselves, that we would ha- be stuck with them for so long that they would become how people in MMOs that we maybe played a lot, like in my case with Destiny, for so long, it was like people would, they couldn't even, they'd be like, IDP you go over here, it sucked, because like you know, it, now my, my handle is Kirkhammer so they can just be like, oh Kirk, go over here, <laughs> like they'll see my name, mm-hmm. and that's much easier in a game like Destiny um, so I think we didn't know, and no one really knew, because it was sort of a new thing and now, like you said, Maddie it's just way more established that you get a handle that's like a name with a bunch of numbers, and then there's a second layer on top of it, like how Discord works, how Xbox works now, where you you can pick whatever you want, you can change it whenever you want, you can have it look different in different games, because that's like a much better way to do things, and that's probably how they would have engineered things from the start. Like, clearly it was very difficult on an engineering level for Sony to retroactively, you know, to retrofit the ability to change your handles, that's why it took them so long. So now I think anyone who's building a platform builds that in.
2: Mm-hmm. I mean, I will say I don't think they're important even now, which is part of why it's so funny that now you can change them, because I think that suggests that you put thought into it because you have the ability to change it. So having a dumb name, which I would say I do on most platforms have a series of of very stupid names. You chose that. Like now I feel like it's almost worse. It's not like you can be like, well, I chose this when I was 12. You know how it is. It's like, no, (laughs) you chose that last week and you're going with that. Like you're going with like, I don't know, Batman stoner. I, I mean, that's what you're going with. That's that's the face you're putting out to the world.
1: The important thing is that you put parody account next to whatever it is. (laughs) Yeah, of course. (laughs) Well, nowadays you can
0: you can be verified Batman Stoner. You can be Twitter verified Batman Stoner for only eight dollars a month. All right, last question. That you tell everyone it's a parody. One last question. This is from Christian. Um, ironically, given his question, Christian writes, <laughs> "Hi, trippers, now that God of War 2018 and Ragnarok are out, given the original series and also Assassin's Creed Origins, we can surely ask the vital question, which is the best pantheon, Greek, <laughs> Norse or Egyptian? Um... Are those the only three options? I feel like there must be other pantheons of gods out there. But regardless, that's his question. I mean, for some reason, we're not including
2: uh, the Christian pantheon at all. We're not including Lucifer. We're not including uh, Paradise Lost or any of that. Spoken like
1: someone who just played Dante's Inferno. (laughs) I mean,
2: there were a lot of people in that game. I'll say it. They were in there. there were, yeah, there's yeah, a lot of characters I mean, in the
1: Bible. It's not a
0: pantheon when there's only one god, and that's kind of the whole okay, point. Okay, sure. Of the, the but there are
2: <laughs> prophets and like people with powers and not, angels. No, there's it's angels not, and demons. It's not the same. With names? We're talking about
0: pantheons of gods Greek, okay, Norse, listen. Egyptian.
2: Um, I like Egyptian the best. Everyone already knows that. I think it's the coolest. Assassin's Creed Origins, great game. Can't wait for God of War to go to Egypt. It's totally gonna happen, folks. Arthurian legends? No way! They're going to Egypt next. Come on, Corey Farlug. you listen to the show. Make it happen, man.
0: Yeah, they hinted at that in the last game, yeah, they but did. we'll save that for the Beans Cast. Uh, Kirk, any thoughts? I don't know.
1: No, I, 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 I think. I don't know. I don't have a strong take on Do you on not this. want
2: to officially call which one is the coolest? <laughs> Why not? <laughs> to, well, to pick
1: I, the best ancient religion. I don't know. No, North, I always had a not. soft
0: spot for Greek because I grew up like, reading all these, this Greek mythology. I have that one book full of them. Um, and I always thought those are the wildest stories. But Norse has some pretty cool stories, too. I'm not as familiar with the Egyptian Yeah, Egyptian whereas I grew up reading mythology. like the Egypt game. Right.
2: and everything and being so into Mm -hmm. that as a child and then we had this huge ancient Egyptian art book in my house and I would just like put post-it notes on all the pages that had cats on them which is a lot of pages. (laughs) Probably quite (laughs) a few.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I think they're all neat. I mean, a thing that I like in God of War Ragnarok is is whenever Mimir asks Kratos about a story, you know, he'll be talking about the Iliad or something, and they will sort of paraphrase the Iliad, and he'll be like, Oh, I think I heard that story. And just the idea that there's sort of cross-pollinization between mm-hmm. these stories was kind of fun. But no, I mean, I can't pick a favorite, just partly because. I only really know what I've learned from playing God of War forever <laughs> ago or Assassin. Like, I've never sat down and read... I haven't even it read Norse mythology. It
2: might 100% accurate. It might not be.
1: No, but I mean, I I can't pick a favorite based just on that. They're all very interesting, clearly. And I, I'm sure each game also presents a sort of its own <laughs> unique view of of what people actually believe. But I do want to read Norse mythology after you talking about it, Jason, and then after playing so much God of War. Yeah, the Neil Gaiman book is fantastic. Mm-hmm. Um, it's definitely something I liked about Moon Knight and like about Thor yes. is that it brought Norse and Egyptian mythology sort of more mm-hmm. center screen in pop culture, which is pretty fun. You know, people yes.
2: cross-pollinated in real life, you know? All those different mm-hmm. cultures. Everybody talked to each other before long. And that's kind of <laughs> neat. It's
0: particularly funny playing uh, Ragnarok and yes. seeing their portrayal of Odin and Thor versus like the MCU's portrayal of, of mm-hmm. Thor and Odin. It's it's pretty funny. It is. It um, is. All right, cool. Let's take a break. Once again, thank you to everybody who sent in questions. They were all great and keep sending them in. We love them. We'll keep doing these episodes as long as we keep getting good questions. Um, Once again, triple click at maximumfun.org to reach us. All right, let's take a break and we'll be back with one more thing.
2: Manolo, guess what? Manolo, guess what? 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 Doctor Game Show has made it to 100 episodes on Maximum Fun. Oh, that's true. I knew that.
0: Well, to celebrate, we are releasing our entire Earwolf archives to Max Fun members. That's anyone who gives five dollars or more monthly to support podcasts like Doctor Game Show. That's 63 episodes with in-studio comedian guests like Jason Manzucas, Bowen Yang, and Matt Rogers, Joe Parra, Todd Barry, and Janine Garofalo, Connor O'Malley, Chris Guthrie. And more. Plus three bonus episodes that include two pilot episodes. Wow, two pilots must be good. Find the feed at slash BOCO. B O C O stands for
2: bonus content. Mm-hmm.
1: Presenting the new MaxFunStore.com, we've got shirts for your torso, hats for your head, drinkware for your finest beverages, and so much more.
0: Starring your favorite Max Fun shows with new and classic designs. Find the perfect gift for the podcast fan in your life. Heck, that could be you. We're not judging. Head to MaxFunStore.com now. That's MaxFunStore.com. And we are back, Kirk. Maddie, it is time for one more thing. Maddie, start us off.
2: Sure. Okay. So mine is the case of the Golden Idol. I know we've already Woo! talked about it a lot, but I loved it so much. We're gonna that talk I about it more next week. Not too. talk about it. Okay. If Elden Ring hadn't come out this year, this would probably be my favorite game of the year, and it, and it kind of maybe is. Like every day mm-hmm. since I have played it, I'm like, "Is this maybe my favorite game of the year? Is it maybe my favorite game? Period? I don't know. That's how obsessed with it I was. Yes. I love this game." <laughs> I played it too quickly. It's my only regret. I kind of had a whirlwind 24 hours of devouring it like an entire <laughs> cake of some kind. So this is a mystery game. And uh, we've, we've explained it. We've attempted to explain it a couple times. It's pretty hard to explain how you put the clues together, but it feels great when you're actually doing it. So you'll look at sort of a static image um, of a murder or some other crime that's just been committed. I think they're all murders, but sometimes there are other peripheral crimes you also have to figure out In addition to a murder and uh you'll kind of look around the room or series of rooms and click on people and maybe they'll move a little bit kind of like a gif situation but there won't be Mm -hmm. there won't be a heck of a lot of movement for you to follow and you'll just you'll just click on people and you'll click on objects like like an adventure game style and as you click on certain objects uh you can get key words keywords (laughs) keywords <laughs> and then you can put those <laughs> keywords in order in in your little notebook page and that helps you uh delineate what what the cause of the murder is or, or what what the deal is with all the people in the scene that you've just witnessed and i don't know the story of this game like i don't necessarily expect a mystery game like this to have a overarching story story. Or if it does, then I'm like, eh, it's probably just going to be kind of boring. I mean, I, I don't know why I just had no expectations of that. Maybe because the very first mystery in the game is really linear. I mean, it's almost like a tutorial... And then I, I, almost well, I mean it's almost like they're teaching you how to play the game or something. Um, and I was just like, okay, if they're all going to be this simple, then I don't know if I'm going to like this game. But as it goes along, so you learn more and more about this golden idol, and it changes hands, and it has these weird superpowers, and you learn how it works, and that's really spooky. And then different characters emerge and take power over various other people's livelihoods, and you're like, wait, what? Why is that happening? And by the end of the game, I was like totally blown away by the final mystery. Thought it was freaking nuts. Just I don't know. I was I was going out of my mind with this one, guys. I I can't forget yeah. it. It's freaking great. It's amazing.
1: It's the we're, coolest we're gonna, story ever. <laughs> we're going to talk about this some um, next week, but I do want to say I've been thinking a lot. There's the character designs in this game are actually amazing. So cool
2: and weird. The art is
1: really and the art is really weird, and at first it's a little off-putting, but there's there's especially one character who's just a real one. He's my favorite character in the game. Which You both, one? I'm sure, know who I'm talking about. I'm not even going to say re- his name. because not to reveal it? Okay. I'll tell you off, Mike. Um, he's, Jason and I have talked about him. He's just the best character. And for reasons that are clear, if you've played the game, he rules. And the very first time you meet him, his face is just ridiculous. And he is always making a ridiculous expression and doing something ridiculous. And um, he turns out amazing. And yeah, the
2: the music is so weird and creepy.
1: Music is great. Um, right before the end of the game, Emily and I went back through every single mission and we basically rebuilt the whole story ourselves. And that, I think, is what makes this story great. It's a cool story, but it's the fact that you tell it yourself and doing that, sitting on the couch and be like, okay, so, oh, so this guy was working for this. Okay, and then he did, the, all right, and then he's here and that's why this guy is here. And like, then there's an epilogue that sort of tells you everything. And we were like, haha, ha, we worked this all out. And mm-hmm. it was just like the experience right, right.
2: of... Like the epilogue makes sure you do that even if you haven't Right. already done it and which even is such the, a fun process I think it's the second to last mystery before the epilogue also has all the other previous mysteries and sort of forces you to go back and look right. at them you like the game does a great job of really reminding you who each character is so that there is that yeah. payoff at the end where you're like what that guy did yeah. what at least that it's was It's like my a narrative
1: reaction. design masterclass. <laughs> yes. Like, it's really on another level in terms of narrative design. I'm it's amazing. so good. I, I'm
0: afraid that it's not getting the attention it deserves because the art style is so off putting. But it um, ends up being so. Like so in when the end, you it's like it, the best like thing yes. You get a. Uh, well, yes, this is what I said when I first uh, yeah. introduced it to you guys. Like, the art style is off putting at first, and yeah, yeah, then yeah. you fall in love with it over time. Yes. But when you first look at it, you're like, like that. When I first saw it, I was like, oh, no way am I going to play this. Like, it looks hideous. But but it's
2: supposed to look hideous.
0: to
1: Hideousness is incredible. Yeah, it's really ugly. It's a beautiful. Hideous
2: game about hideous people. It's almost got like a little edge of horror to it. Like especially that lighthouse song, where it keeps changing keys and it just sounds that one is crazy. crazy. It's and like a microtonal like yeah.
1: freak out. Yeah, where thinking, it keeps detuning and i I was losing my mind that whole level. Like I can't listen to this anymore. <laughs> here as I edit the episode and as your sanity probably gradually deteriorates listening to this just to shout out the composer on The Case of the Golden Idol who is a composer named Kyle Misko who did a great job this tune is called Crowning Celebration and man it's good okay back to the show
2: It's iconic. The art yeah, style yeah. is like the visual version of whatever the hell it that is, song is It really is, doing. is of
1: like a steadily detuning song <laughs> that's somewhere in between different tuning yeah, frequencies. Yeah, there's detuned uh,
2: art. Anyway, everyone yeah. needs to play this game. The Case of the Golden <laughs> yeah. Idol. I really can't recommend it enough. It's definitely the best mystery game I've ever played. And I wish they would make a sequel like yesterday.
1: It's brilliant.
0: Kirk, what's your one more thing?
1: My one more thing is another really fun game that I played all the way through with Emily over the weekend called Escape Academy. Do either of you even know about this yes, game? Yes, I've
2: heard of it, but go on. I've oh, not played so it. Oh, it's so
1: fun. Um, it's super, super fun. This is a game that's on consoles and PC. It came out this year. There's already a DLC for it. Um, it's made by an a indie studio called Coin Crew. And basically, it's escape rooms that you can play through in split-screen co-op with someone and... That's it. And they're designed by, they're really legit escape rooms. They're really cool. They're clearly designed by people who know how to make escape rooms. And there's just a bunch of them. And it's all wrapped in this very funny, very silly narrative package where you're, you know, you're a student at the escape academy where they teach people to escape. It sort of feels like Psychonauts, that same thing where everyone there, all the teachers are these big personalities who are master escape artists because that's important and then there's like the bad guys or the anti-escape scientists
2: that are so it's just like it's it's all that's
1: very silly and it just looks kind of visual novely and is totally like 2 seconds of the game it's almost none of it almost all of the game is just here we are, we're in the library, and oh no, the library's on fire, we gotta get out, and oh, well, our library is this ridiculous (laughs) series of puzzles that you have to figure out. But it's super fun, especially in split-screen co-op, because you both are walking around the room, and there's just a lot of like, okay, I'm gonna go over here, like, I'm seeing this, all right, well, we've got this code here, all right, this looks like, you know, this is gonna be a sort of a sequence that we need to figure out, but I don't know what the sequence means, so just keep an eye out for these shapes. You're kind of talking to each other a lot, and then sharing inventory, one person looks at the wall, okay, can you just look at the wall? I'm gonna look off of your screen. While I enter this thing And it's escape room stuff So you develop a literacy for it as you go Which is also just cool Because it's very consistently designed um, They get challenging But they're never too challenging It never feels unfair Honestly it was just a super fun thing Every night we did a couple of I was like you want to do an escape room And then was like yeah And we would just do a couple So it's really Sounds fun great. I had a great time with it Can, Can you, you explain night? how the
0: split screen works So it's just like split in two and Yeah it's just
1: split, split in two And the two of you walk around the room It's like old school first person split screen
0: Cool, and like how you can cooperate to solve the puzzles. Like how does you that don't work?
1: have to cooperate? Um, it's more me- the cooperation is more just that two of you can look at clues. I think one person could play through all the puzzles as well. It's I think a little easier with two, just because you can cover more ground and you can just like hand inventory items back and forth between got one it. another. That's so be like, ask. oh, yeah. like I have the you know I've got the candlestick, so I need to use it in that thing. Okay, I just gave it to you. You take care of this puzzle. I'm gonna go into the other room. That kind of thing. But it's mostly cool. just talking. So it's like and figuring it out as
0: if you're like with a buddy at an escape. Yeah, it art. just
1: right. It feels like you're in an escape. This room. sounds cool. Really I'm gonna fun. play this. I'm going It's great. Get You'll my like wife it. on board. Yeah, this sounds awesome. Is, yeah, you guys will have fun. It's really, really fun. Cool. So that's Escape Academy. Cool game.
0: Um, cool. All right. My one more thing is a movie. I went to the movies last week and I went and saw Black Panther: Wakanda Forever. Yeah, which is, I saw this too. Aww, it's interesting watching yet. it and like, can't wait. It's interesting watching it and wondering like what <laughs> what they actually wanted to do with this movie. Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah. So it's very much a movie about like. The death of Chadwick Bozeman and what that means for the franchise. And uh, for me, at least, like I thought it was okay, but that kind of subtracted from it. Like it's attracted mm. from the experience for me. The first Black Panther was so good. It was like the quintessential MCU movie, just like an, a great story, great villain, great writing, great quips, great performances, great action. Just like everything was firing on all cylinders and um, exploring like African culture in really interesting ways. Um, this movie, like... I don't know, didn't hit the same beats for me because it was all about just, like, the death of the king and what they were all going to do to replace that. And it felt like the Marvel Cinematic Universe kind of talking to itself and being like, oh, God, what are we going to do without Chadwick Boseman? And the replacement for him, uh, the protagonist of this movie, is Shuri, who is his sister, um, who is a side character in the first Black Panther. And she really, I mean, they uh, bless the actress's ha- heart out because she does her best with it, but, like, she does not hold up as a protagonist at least for me, she doesn't have like the charisma to carry the whole movie, and and does not work. They do introduce another character named Riri Williams, who does have the charisma to carry a movie, and she's going to get her, her own show next year. So I'm very excited for that. Um, I believe it's called Iron Heart. Iron Heart. Um, yes,
2: because she's like a cool teen girl Iron Man. Basically. Yes, she's mm-hmm. like this
0: brilliant teenager who's at MIT and like runs her own mm-hmm. lab, and she she stole every show, every scene she was in. Um, yeah, and then she gets good. a suit for some reason, which is kind of silly. But yeah, Shuri did not really do it for me. Um, the movie is all over the place. It's kind of like in addition to doing dealing with grief and um, introducing Namor, who's pretty cool as a villain um, and has some interesting themes around colonialism and, and just like uh, it's interesting to see his whole deal. Um, it also just kind of has all this like uh, slapdash stuff with Julia Louise Dreyfus, who just like uh, is in there for no reason Richard Schiff is in there also like and it's weird seeing Odin Odin in there Uh, yeah Yeah, Odin Odin is in there Um, not really clear why like Martin Freeman has this whole little subplot that goes nowhere and does nothing like it feels like they're trying to plant seeds maybe for future MCU stuff but it doesn't actually do anything Um, and it just it, it kind of like fits into this theme of all the MCU movies since Avengers Endgame, which is just kind of Floundering, kind of like not really hitting hitting the peaks of of some of the previous stuff, like the original Black Panther, and so, yeah, for me, I didn't think it was all that great, like I walked away being like, okay, um with the same kind of feeling that I had after the new Doctor Strange after uh the new Thor, like just like okay yes i I shoved this down my pie hole, and like we'll probably not think <laughs> about it again uh in a couple of months and the MCU used to feel a lot less kind of, I don't know, factory made. And even the stuff with grief in here, like it just didn't, it's, yeah, it didn't do it for me. And and uh, I don't know how they could have salvaged a new Black Panther without recasting him because Chadwick Boseman just so carried that first movie so well. Um, but yeah, it did, just didn't really work for me that well. It was entertaining. It was fine. It was fun. It was good. But like, uh, I don't know, it wasn't wasn't quite all there for me. Kirk, what did you think? You saw it too? Yeah,
1: yeah, I mean, I I get what you're saying. Like, I I think it was pretty impressive in some ways just because, like, Ryan Coogler knows how to make a movie and it was still more interesting, more amazing looking a lot of the time than most Marvel stuff. But I agree. I mean, it was... There's kind of 20% too much going on. Like, there's just Uh a lot. Like, it just was a lot. And also, it's a pretty anguished movie, which there's kind of nothing for it. I mean, this is, like, their friend, their colleague. This is, like, it wasn't just what do we do with this character. It's this guy died. And it was, right. to me, really moving. And there's some heartbreaking stuff where you really think about this actual beloved amazing guy who died. And, like, that stuff is tough. And then you're thinking about that the whole movie. And then also, right, it's this really tough story. It's And there's some anguished action scenes that are just, Hardcore. I mean, the whole movie, I was just like, man, this is a really heavy movie that's also got a lot going on. It's switching tones sometimes, like you said. There's more comic relief. There's more MCU-iness, just a bit more than the first Black Panther. So, yeah, kind of a messy As, movie. Yeah, still, very much
0: all over the place. Very weird pacing, I think, to your point on that.
1: It was too much. So then you get pacing problems when you overstuff the sausage, right? Mm-hmm. It's like it starts bulging in places, and it kind of felt that way. Even though, like, there was a lot to admire, and I still really liked it and and enjoyed myself i i do agree that it was like maybe an impossible movie to make and also just so so much i mean it was just so so much going on
0: i do think i think it's it it, might have been handled like i i actually i think the movie would have been better if they had either recast black panther or like even introduced a new hero because to me i really think with a stronger protagonist to anchor it it would have been better
1: you know, I think Letitia Wright was pretty good. She's the actress who plays Shuri. I think she did a pretty good no, job. No, uh, yeah,
0: I again I think the actress is good. I just think the character just like doesn't hold a movie together, at least for me. Like she wasn't she wasn't convincing as the new Black Panther. She wasn't really like uh I don't know, she didn't feel like a, a, a
1: protagonist to me. It's tough. I mean, some of it is just I've been I've been so into Andor and watching Andor that it's like so completely different in terms of focus and tone and energy level that then to go to an even a wonderfully produced, amazing looking MCU like Marvel movie and to just sit there for two and a half hours being just like completely sensorily overwhelmed was just like a lot to adjust to for me. Mm-hmm. It was definitely a lot. Um I, but I will say
0: again, Riri Williams, aka Dominique Thorne, who's yeah. the actress who plays Rita Williams was fantastic. And I'm, I'm very excited for Ironheart. like after seeing her performance in this. So that's the one bright spot for me uh, is seeing that. And then obviously Julia Louise Dreyfus, whenever she's on screen, it's amazing. It's just, I didn't really know why she was on screen <laughs> at all ever. And that's not really ever answered, but yeah, I don't know. I'm, I'm, I'm still waiting for like the next, the, the next big MCU thing that like actually blows me away. And isn't just like, okay, this is good, yeah. but I don't know, missing, missing something.
2: Mm-hmm. Well, I'm going to watch it anyway. <laughs>
0: no, you oh, should. You sure. should watch it's absolutely
1: it. Absolutely worth watching.
0: It, just like all the other recent MCU movies, it's one of those where if you ask me like, should I go see it now or wait for Disney Plus? I would 100% be like, just wait for it to come to Disney Plus. Like you don't need to go spend $18 on a movie ticket to go see this movie.
2: Fair enough. Anyway,
0: it. All right. That is it for this week's episode. Uh, Once again, happy Thanksgiving to everybody who is celebrating and uh, be sure to tune in. uh, What is it? Monday we're going to run the beans cast. Yeah.
1: And that will be out next week. God of
0: War Ragnarok bonus episode coming next week. And otherwise we will see you next week.
1: Go to the new store. Get some merch.
0: Yeah. Get some merch. Buy a triple click (laughs) mug. Oh man. I'm totally going to buy a triple click mug.
1: (laughs) Heck yeah. All right. See both of you next week. Find us on Twitter at TripleClickPod, send email to triple TripleClick at MaximumFun.org, and find a link to our Discord in the show notes. Thanks for listening. See you next
2: time. MaximumFun.org.
0: Comedy and culture. Artist owned. Audience supported.
2: That was a B-U-Y. Buy stuff. B-U-Y.